Welcome back to the Missouri Chamber of Capital Chat. I'm your host, Philip Arnzen, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Senator Carla Esslinger. Thanks for joining, Senator. Well, absolutely, Phil. Thanks for having me on, Heidi and Phil, and of course, my friend Kara. I always enjoy uh, any opportunity I have to, to visit with you three and and talk about our great state of Missouri. It's always good to talk with you. We also have my esteemed colleague, Heidi Geisbuehler-Sutherland. Good morning. And then unfortunately, Kara Korches uh, was not able to join us today, but I know that she will be listening afterwards and will be excited to hear what Senator Esslinger has to say. So Senator, uh, you are a, a freshman Senator, uh, but I know before that you also uh, served in the House and then you had quite a you know esteemed career before that. So if you want to give our listeners just a little bit of background, what you've done before you were elected, and then your time as a representative and then now a senator. You know, I was raised, most of my childhood was up in the northern part of the state, up by uh, Western Missouri and Platte County. And then uh, my mother was, we were actually at some point lived in Kansas City. And then she thought that she wanted to raise her four kids. She was a single mom and she decided to raise four kids down in Ozark County. She thought it would be Something that she wanted to do is raise us in a rural area with a small town, and that's exactly what she did. So I ended up down the southern part of the state. All my other families up north, but I married a local guy. I married Dave Esslinger. <laughs> so I've been here, and Dave and I have been married for 40, I think, four years now, something like that. It's been a few days. Uh, we have a couple of really pretty girls. We have Chelsea and Kate. Both of them kind of followed in my footsteps as far as education. One's a high school business teacher. The other's an elementary principal. And then I had I have two uh, son-in-laws, great son-in-laws. One is um, Justin, who's a superintendent of schools. And then we have one banker in the in the family, so this is good. We don't have just all educators. And then my husband is we have a body shop, of course, a farm. We've had a small business for, I guess, about 35, 40 years or so. I started out in a small school. I always say on the banks of Bull Shoals Lake, down in Lucy School in Theodosia. I taught two rows of first graders and two rows of second graders my first year teaching. Uh, attended College of the Ozarks, picked up my bachelor's degree for teaching. And I did the usual trek, you know, just keep going to school every Wednesday night, drive to Springfield, take a class. Then I ended up with a master's. I did a building level administration. And then I did a specialist degree in finance and law. And I, I started uh, doing more central office work. I was a superintendent of schools uh, in Ava. And I was also superintendent of schools in West Plains, Missouri. And that's where I actually retired from public education. And actually, Phil, I've, I've retired two or three times and I keep failing miserably. But uh, so my, <laughs> first, my first retirement was, was out of West Plains. And then I worked with the, with the uh, Department of Education, Assistant Commissioner, what they call teacher quality. I did that for a while. And then I came home and did a short stint with Missouri State. I taught uh, ed, ed leadership classes. And then I got a call from uh, the U.S. Department of Ed and, and some folks that were contracting services. So I worked in DC or out of DC for the US Department of Education for about four years. All along the way, had four beautiful grandbabies. And then I got a call from some friends back home and they said, hey, Carla, it's your turn. So here I am. I ran for the house, served in the house for two years. And then an opportunity came for me to uh, consider a running Senate seat. And I did so and and happy to say, hey, here I am. I won and hopefully uh, able to continue the good work that we started back in the house. Great to hear about your background. For I don't know why. I guess I just never knew you were originally from Northern Missouri. So, mm -hmm. are you saying that being a legislator is not a part-time job? Especially being a state senator might be a little bit more than just that. <laughs> well, you know, it was told to me that you know you only have to be in Jeff City from January to May, and uh, you can slow down a little, Carl, if you want to. You know, you 
you can uh, uh, have more time with your grandchildren, this and that. And of course, you know, it's always you prioritize and you balance your life. And, and we're pretty good at that here. But it's definitely not a part time job. I can tell you it's a if you're if you're really and truly, I think, working the constituent side of it and also the legislative side and taking time to build those relationships with folks that you work directly with. And that's not just legislators. That's also, you know, people who work in various state departments, various agencies across the state, professional associations. That takes time as well. And I really dedicate time to that because it, it truly is those relationships that create opportunity for understanding and for us to be able to get some good work done. I mean, we do really appreciate that you have taken the time to, you know, you do build relationships with your colleagues and uh, you do work, especially with the Missouri Chamber. When we have issues, you know, you listen to us and hear us out. And I know sometimes we probably bug you a little bit too much, but we do appreciate you taking the meetings. I absolutely love having you all come over and come to the office. And I can tell you that to me, I think it's just a value, a value to have members of chamber and, and folks there in the in the halls and, and always available. I, th I think it's a, a value add. So don't ever apologize for hanging out and hanging around the office or coming in. Well, appreciate it. So one of the things that we've really been working on, and I know a lot of your colleagues in the Senate have been working on, is trying to address the child care issue. There's a lot of different elements to that. Even before COVID, you know, it was expensive to get child care. You had to get on waiting lists. COVID had really exacerbated those problems. You had a lot of child care providers kind of drop out of that market and drop out of that industry. So kind of what are your thoughts on child care and what we can do to help address that? And then, I mean, is it an issue that you're hearing from your constituents quite a bit, whether it's businesses or just individuals trying to find it? Well, you know, in rural areas, we've always had a challenge with having enough, enough seats for folks who want to provide their children childhood programs or even just an opportunity for mom to, to work and have a safe place where they know that their kids are going to be taken care of. It, it's always been a problem in rural areas. And of course, you know, I represent seven counties across the bottom part of the state. A very rural and actually some of the poorest counties in our state. I think it's three or four of our my counties are on the top 10 poorest counties of the state. So whatever issues that you're seeing in child care in other areas of our state, you can multiply that here. And of course, like you just said, COVID, it just put gas on the fire. You know, uh, we ended up with what, 20 or 30, 30 percent of our spots went away. Mm -hmm. And then now we're trying to bring it back. And I like the way you said that it's a, there's, there's all kinds of aspects of this issue that we have to take care of. And and I think about that, and it's, it's not just do we have somebody who wants to run a, a child care center, but they've got to have staff to work at the child care center. We have to have availability during those hours that you wouldn't commonly think, right? It's after five and on mm -hmm. weekends, because we have our policemen and firemen and, and all our health care people and everybody who works those various hours, they have to have access as well. And I really do believe, Phil, that our child care crisis, which is what I would call it, is... Right probably one of the biggest impacts on our economy. And I bring up the economy because as I said, I have a real concern about the lack of tax base that we have in most of my counties here. And until we can bring an industry and we can get those supports around those people who are working in that industry, it's like one without the other. You can't do chicken and egg. You've got to have it all. You've got to have people to work. You've got to have facilities. And you've got to be able to sustain that. It can't be just a grant every once in a while. Get lucky and get a grant so you open a center. I need to see comprehensive, uh, overall comprehensive improvement and investment in that population, that very, very, very needy population. Yeah, and that's, of course, you can, you can tell that I really and truly think that this is huge. I know that there's times when 
we'll have uh, people look at maybe starting a small industry and they'll say, okay, so if I hire 40 people or bring them in, uh, one, housing, of course, is an issue. The second right. thing is care. They always ask about that. So we've got to do something. And I think that uh, I've got some colleagues over in the house and I know that our governor's office is still thinking it's uh, something we've got to address this year. And I'm willing to be able to follow and work for that as well. It's something we hear from businesses all over the state whenever we talk to them about what are your challenges in finding workers and childcare, like you said, is something that comes up almost every time. We did our annual CEO survey and 80% of the businesses who responded said that lack of childcare and lack of affordable childcare is keeping people out of the workforce. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just think, it's not something that can't be solved, right? I mean, we've got great models out there. We have uh, ways in which that we can look to see what is it that we're, we're requiring as far as any kind of certification or training for people who work within a child care center. Is there some red tape there? Is there something we can do to, to kind of offset some of the bureaucracy around placing people in those critical positions? I think that the, that we could just got to look at the whole gamut and and figure out where we can loosen up some things, but maintain obviously maintain a very safe environment for kids uh, that you would want to send your child to and I would want to send my child to. I think the the problem we've had is one we we started some legislation last year which I really do think will help us a lot. We started it a little bit late. I hope that it's the first one filed, but I think that we have to look at this this whole piece. There are people who. Uh, would be able to pay for child care, but they just don't, there's nothing here. It's just not available. So it's not, it's not just a low income issue. It's not just an urban issue or rural. It's, it's throughout and, and throughout the population as well. We are really lucky to have legislators like you who have the education background, but are also familiar with being involved in a business. So you see it from a lot of different angles. So we're glad to have your help on this issue next year. Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, one one area that I, I think that the chamber does really well is, is when they uh, work directly with employers to say, OK, would you be interested? Would you consider putting a child care center in your, you know, on site for the where you have your business or where you have your industry or wherever it is? And, you know, we see it some places, but I think that when you look at some survey data around how beneficial that is for the employees, for the industry or the business overall, to know that their kids are just right over there and, and are in a great program and it's part of their package when they go to work. I think we have to kind of expand on that. It's not it's not uh, something that you see everywhere, but I sure would like to see more of it. Yeah, and one of the things we worked fairly closely with Governor Parsons' office and uh, with the folks in the House and Senate to put together a kind of an incentive package. Talking to our businesses, our business members, a lot of what they had mentioned is, some of them, yeah, they would like to have their own in-house childcare. Others said, look, we don't really want to have to deal with the stress of having our own childcare provider. However, we would be more than happy to contract with somebody outside of the company that, yeah. you know, are the experts in that. And so part of the good thing in this package is it gives businesses and it gives childcare provider those options and that flexibility to determine what really is the best for them. What is the best solution for them, whether it's to go in-house or whether it's to contract with somebody. And so that's a part that we really like about that package. So going uh, along with childcare is workforce development. Um, I mean, you can't really have workforce development without childcare, but then also in the state, 
you know, one of the things we hear from businesses is workers that they might be good workers, they might be reliable, but they don't necessarily have the specific skills that they need really to, to move up in the company. And so one of the things that you actually sponsored this year that we pushed was Senate Bill 53, which was the upscale credential program. And that provides some short-term training for employees. Do you want to talk a little bit about that bill and then also some of the other workforce challenges that you're seeing kind of in your district in the state and elsewhere around the state? Well, you know, I, I had such a great interest in that piece of legislation and, and was thrilled when we were able to get it across the line and the governor sign it. Uh, we know that our turnover rate and the, the amount of money, first off, I guess that we, we take in training people to even be entry level and then keep them there. We want those folks who want to continue to learn and continue to improve their skill to stay with that company. We don't want them to get a little bit of training one place and then hop over to another and start again and start again. So it's, it is, it's just, it's a kind of a basics business 101 that you invest in your workforce. And, and this was a way in which that they could do that. It gives a little bit of an offset to the cost of, of training and upskilling those credentials or those particular skills necessary for that industry. And I'd like to see it expanded. I like to, we're going to watch really close as to how well people are, are accessing this and using this and what the true outcome is as a result of this so that we can tout those successes and be able to expand that opportunity to other industries and maybe even you know a little bit more comprehensively. And I know that it's something that when I talk to other business leaders, they are interested in, excited about, and are really proud of the fact that we've done that. And, and your all's help with that was essential. Uh, making sure that people had uh, the right information about what that bill was and what it did and didn't do really helped me be successful there. What are some of the other workforce issues you're seeing in your district and some of the needs from the businesses or from just any of the local communities that you go and interact with um, around kind of Southern Missouri? Well, of course, in Southern Missouri, there's a lot of ag. And you know as well as I do that unless you inherit a farm, it's really tough for you to get started in that industry. We do have a an area within uh, even heavy equipment, construction, those kinds of things that uh, we're, we're working with our career centers and with those other areas to, one, get our, get our high school kids, middle school kids aware of the broad employment opportunities in the heavy equipment or construction or, or any kind of like what you would see like an alignment or any kind of career technical vocational area. It is huge and anything within the trades. We're working on that, but I would say that one of the most critical areas that I have seen, and maybe it's because I, I kind of pay attention to education, is we just have a, a real a serious problem in that we have seen such a decrease in people who are interested in going into education. And then the, when the pipeline starts drying up, and then when it, teachers who have taught 31 plus years are ready to go home, we don't have people to fill their shoes. We have a critical shortage of educators in our state. And in rural areas, it's even more what do you think are some of the things we can do to help and bring, you know, more educators into the workforce and back into K through 12? Because we constantly hear about the teacher shortage. Um, again, going back to COVID, there's quite a few teachers that actually left teaching uh, because of the challenges during COVID. So what do you think are ways we can attract teachers and help retain those teachers that we already have? Yeah. Well, I know that in the job I've had, or I've led some pretty large systems and and look at our workforce. And I know that money is one thing, but are you happy on your job? Are you, are you feel fulfilled? Are you valued? Are you all those things that have to do with the culture and the climate of the organization, of the building or whatever it is, that feel you get when you walk in. And I think that that's two areas. You can't do one without the other. You can pay somebody a whole lot of money 
But if it's a toxic environment, they don't want to be there and they'll find someplace else to go. Right. But the underlying thing is just, you know, almost like you had the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow says, you know, you, if you feel safe and you feel comfortable and you're able to take care of your needs, that's the first layer. And so when I think about education, I think, okay, so are we paying them a living wage? And I can tell you that a beginning salary in Missouri without that particular grant is not a living wage. And I'm right. sitting here on the Arkansas line and I can look right over there and old Sarah Huckleby down there, she decided to pump up their beginning salary to 49000 50000 a year. We're sitting here with a grant if you want to apply at what, 33 38 I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I think 38 Okay, 38 Well, it's just not competitive, right? right. So it's really tough for, for folks that are in Howe County or, or Ozark County or uh, Shannon or any of those down here on the Arkansas line to want to work in that particular. They can just drive 15 minutes and make another $15,000, $20,000. You know, that's tough. <laughs> and I can tell you that we're not losing our first years. The ones that are going down there are five to seven years. Ones who have not invested over like, let's say, 12 years in the retirement system. But those folks that are just coming out, the ones that we really need to be able to fill the void of those retirees and the baby boomers getting out of the business, those folks are not wanting to work in Missouri because, I mean, the same thing with Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, you know, all the, all the states that touch us, they pay their educators at a higher level than we do. So I think about that and I think, well, why? How is that going to happen? And I think one thing is, is that we have allowed and not looked at minimum guaranteed salary for so many years and we let it just kind of sit there. Well, of course, school districts have the opportunity to pop their schedule up, but a lot of times people won't invest in the first year unless they have to. And we've, we've allowed ourselves just to get behind in that game. So anyway, I'm hoping that we can address that. And then I, the other side of it is that toxic environment. You know, if you, if you are constantly having uh, very, very challenging students and you're not getting a lot of support from your leadership or your whatever, and then you've got parents who don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing, it's just that whole situation we all are familiar with when it goes south. We need more supports around our children. So it's, it's in both ways, both ways. We just have some work to do, Phil. <laughs> uh, you know, I I keep hearing that from folks that uh, there's constantly challenges we got to work work towards. Yeah. So, but I, but I do want to say one thing on a positive note. I still believe that education. I still believe that living in a rural area and living in the great state of Missouri is fantastic. And I don't think we do that enough. Is is look around and be grateful for what we do have because we do have some exceptional opportunities here, and we do have. You know, just a place where you can raise a family and be very comfortable and feel safe. And I think we need to make sure that we talk about those things because, you know, that old deal, you can't you can't find joy unless you be grateful. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. Well, I went to high school in rural southeast Missouri, and I can tell you that it was a great experience and it was a lot of fun. So yeah. and a good education as well. So, you know, as you mentioned, kind of tackling some challenges. How has, you know, your time in the legislature been as a freshman senator? And then what are you expecting starting in January with the next session? I probably have an idea of what your thoughts are on next session, but I'll let you <laughs> uh, go ahead and, and take over on that. You know, to me, I, I feel rewarded. I feel like I we've been able to do some good work. And I never say me because you guys know it's a team. You know, I have a great staff with me. I have Will Wheeler and Jacinda. Sutherland and lots of folks there within the Senate staff that really help us be successful. But I would say that if I look back on the overall on, you know, my opportunity and what I've been able to get done, I'm pretty proud of the work that we've been doing. I think that it is something where you take constituent needs, you look to see what it is you can make better, 
take slow steps, cautious steps, make things realistic. You know, those things are important. So I think what, what I'm saying is that when you first get in, you think you're going to change the world. But what you realize is that you've got to be careful and make sure that what you're doing is really and truly quality. And I think that we, we can say we've done that. In the legislature, you guys have so many big personalities. How do you deal with getting everybody on the same page whenever you have legislation and you're trying to get it across the finish line? Because you have been very successful bringing a lot of opposing groups together so far. Heidi, sometimes I think that it's my my background of working with middle school students. That <laughs> <laughs> I've had some opportunity to to hear somebody and I have absolutely no understanding as to why they said that or what's going on or where are they at. And you have to take just a, as much time as possible and try to find understanding and try to find those things that are maybe they're not saying, but it's the real driver behind why they have an opposition to what you're doing or that why they want to uh, do something. It's just taking that time to listen find some common ground and move forward. It may not be everything you want, but I think sometimes we draw a line in the sand and say we want it all or nothing and nobody gets anywhere that way. So I, I like the idea that we can find something to agree on and then we can build on that. And that's where I start. You've got a re-election coming up next year and then hopefully four more years after that. What are some of the things you're hoping to keep working on and that you would like to accomplish during your time in the Senate? Well, you know, we've hit on pretty much the, my entire agenda. Uh, there, Of course, there's some things, just little things, clean up language on things. But, mm -hmm. you know, I really uh, have been engaged in the education community for many, many years. And I'm not a traditionalist. I'm not somebody who wants to keep everything exactly the way it's been. I do know that we have some really great systems out there. We have some places where we need some work. But, I mean, I focus on education, which, of course, goes right into workforce, which, of course, goes right into your economic development. And in workforce, I always line up with what are our needs in child care. But one thing we haven't talked about is infrastructure. You know, my whole thing is economic development. So I look at these other things as legs at the table. And infrastructure is one of those. And I was able to get some support for a, getting four lane of a 63 highway. A very important issue for me because... In my world, that is the most dangerous road we travel. It goes off and on from passing lanes to no passing lane. And if you're, if you're not used to driving that, there's so many times, especially at night, you'll be rocking along and all of a sudden your lane goes away or you meet somebody head on who doesn't understand that there's not two more lanes there. It's very dangerous. But the upside of it is, is that we don't have, truly we don't have a corridor coming from 44, Rolla, down to the Arkansas line in the center of our state. We can look at Branson and Kansas City and, and all the way down to Northwest Arkansas, and you can see all the development that's occurred because of that North and South corridors that are there. You see the same thing from St. Louis down to the Boot Hill with Cape and Poplar Bluff and St. Louis and all those counties, but you don't see it in the middle of the state. And that is why we don't have the industry here. We don't have the opportunities or programs, access to healthcare, education, things like that, that are not developing this part of our state. And I do believe it starts with infrastructure, which is good roads. Have there been any improvements since your time, do you think, in investment in infrastructure? Or have you been seeing any tangible improvement in your area on whether it's roads or bridges or any other infrastructure? Yeah, we actually have. And I've had several comments because, of course, people who know me say, hey, Carla, 
the that we got a shoulder on five highway. We're thrilled. <laughs> we finally got the low water bridge fixed where when it rains a little bit, you can go home, which is, you know, you think those are silly things, but that is my area. That's where we live. You know, I live in Ozark County. And one of the things that people, when I was working in DC, they said, well, we're in the world's Wasola, Missouri. What's in Ozark County? And they'll say, well, where's that? And the way I describe it is we don't have a, a Walmart or a, or a McDonald's or a, a stoplight. Uh, and mm -hmm. all we have lane roads and that's Ozark County, but they are seeing some improvements. We are seeing where our investment and I support the gas tax and will continue to support the gas tax. There's things happening around us. We're seeing uh, bridges being repaired. We're seeing roads being fixed to where you're, you know, you're not hanging on to you know, little children as you're going to <laughs> make sure they don't fly out. You do see it, but we've got just so much more that we need. Yeah. And one of those things is getting a four lane down to the middle part of that state. But quick answer is, yep, I'm seeing it, Phil, but I think we've got more to do. Well, actually, one of the, the funny things about being in rural Missouri is most folks are used to snow days, which happen everywhere. Uh, but in high school, I had a lot of flood days where if it would rain too much and the low water bridges would be, get covered, I would have no way to get to school. So I, would, I wouldn't be able to go to school that day. And people just think that is the, the craziest thing. But it's like it happened about once or twice a year in the spring whenever we get a lot of those heavy rains. So just one of the little quirks about rural Missouri. So. Absolutely. You know, I'd get calls and people would say, well, it's, it's raining up at Ava. You might want to, <laughs> because it's coming your way. Big flood. Yep. <laughs> As a school lady, and I'd be watching the forecast, not for rain. I mean, not for uh, snow, but you know, how much rain we're going to get because I knew about what it would take to get a particular bridge uh, covered or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, Senator, we appreciate you joining us today for the Missouri Chamber Capital Chat. Do you have any uh, final words or anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we hop off? I always say thank you. And it's an honor. It truly is an honor to represent my my part of the state and to, to do the work. I think that each one of us has the responsibility to represent our particular district and do all we can, but also to look at the state overall and work together as a team. I'm hoping that we can put aside people's uh, motivations for the next job, people's motivations for wanting to be a headliner and just put our heads down and get some good work for the state completed at this next session. I hope we don't just end up with one filibuster after another because it's such a waste of time and a waste of taxpayers' money. Yep, we, we agree with you 100% on that. All right. Thanks again, Senator. I want to remind the listeners that on Thursday, November 9th in Kansas City, we have our annual meeting, uh, which is also our 100th anniversary celebration. So we would love for you to join us there. And then we also just announced that on uh, January 2nd, uh, we will have our Capital Insight, which is our annual session preview in Jefferson City. And we're going to have some legislative panels. We're going to have a leadership panel as well. And so we hope that you can join us for that too. If you want more information, uh, you can go to our website and go to the events tab, and that'll list our annual meeting and Capital Insight. So thanks again for joining us for the Missouri Chamber Capital Chat.